Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. All right, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Thank you for being friendly and getting a good seat tonight. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. Um, Bible study that I've been working on for some time and... um, My brother gave me an opportunity to share this with you tonight. Proverbs 6, 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Now, Brother Meyer said I play with words the other day. So here I go again. And I bomb nations concerning these seven things that you guys are doing abomination. I mean, that's about as strong a word as God can use about things that he hates. And here they are, they're listed, the seven of them, and he starts with a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and the seventh, remember he said seven are an abomination, here's the seventh, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now let me ask a question before you're seated tonight. How many of you have ever made a mistake? I think I got everybody on that one. We are not judged by our character based upon our mistakes, but based upon what we do after we realize that we've made a mistake and we're going to learn from it. So here's what I want to talk to you about tonight for a little while. I'm going to talk about the tale of two kings. When I do wrong, will I get right? When I do wrong, will I get right? Thank you. You may be seated. Let me talk to you about the first two kings of Israel, some of which you will be familiar with, and I will hit that lightly because I realize I'm speaking to um, mature people. I'm not speaking to children, and you can grab this very easily. But I want to talk to you about the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul, and the second king of Israel, whose name was David. And I'd like to point out a a few things to lay a foundation for where I'm going here tonight. First of all, Saul, the first king, was large in stature, head and shoulders above all men in Israel, and he was very humble. He started out with humility. Matter of fact, when his inauguration took place, they couldn't even find him because he was hiding among, the Bible says, the stuff just found a place to hide. He was embarrassed. He was shy. He was not outgoing. He was not braggadocious. He was very humble. That's the way he started. But now in hindsight, we can see that his two greatest problems would be pride and jealousy. They were lurking in the shadows of his life. You could have never seen them when he first came on the scene, but they were always in the shadows, beckoning, 
to him. I would also like to point out that kings, Saul and David, were politicians. They were not prophets. They were not priests. They were not holy men. They were politicians. God requires more of people that profess themselves to be religious. Can you say amen? We are a royal priesthood, the Bible says. God has a right to expect more of us than he expects from the world. Amen? So he, they are politicians. However, I would like to also point out that in Israel, the politician was subject to the prophet or the priest. They received their instruction from the prophet or the priest, not from their political position. You see, God would speak to the religious ruler and the religious ruler would then go to the king and give him his instructions. That's the format. That's not the way it is in the world today. The king is the king. And he can do anything he wants, right? Because he's the king. But not so in Israel. Now with those few bits of information, let's take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. So here is... Samuel, the prophet. And it says, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be the king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Do you see that order? The voice of the words of the Lord. The voice is going to be Samuel, but the words, I, I hope you see this, the voice is Samuel's voice, but the words are of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid for weight in him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, spare them not, slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Kill everything. This is the definition of of genocide. Genocide the Amalekites. But I guess he thought he had a better plan and he didn't follow that plan explicitly. So verse 10 says that the word of the Lord came unto Samuel saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king for he has turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments and it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night isn't it great to have a man of God in your life that will grieve over what God is executing against you for your wrong will intercede on your behalf you see this is brother Kylie's opinion but I, I believe that what happened to Saul was that he got out to begin his mission. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. But I believe people came to him and said maybe something like this. You know, Saul, your approval ratings are going down. We take a census every once in a while and, and then we make it a percentage 
and we determine how popular you are as the king. And your ratings are going down. So we've got an idea. I represent a vast number of people. And we have all sat down and, and come up with a plan that will improve your approval ratings. Instead of just wasting the animals, let's save the animals. Instead of sacrificing our animals to God, these animals are going to be killed anyway. Let's use them as a sacrifice. Let's take them back with us to Gilgal and, and we'll sacrifice those animals and save our own. That's a substantial savings to your people. And that will make you a hero. That will improve your ratings. And so Saul became a people pleaser rather than a God pleaser. He was more concerned about his ratings and what people thought of him than what God thought and what God had asked him to do. You know what happens to people pleasers? They become people blamers. I'm saying some things that I'm going to pause for just a little bit and, and try and get you to think a little bit. But Saul says, all right, I'm going to do what the people ask. I, I, can, I don't think it'll really matter to God if I tweak this a little bit. So he becomes a people pleaser and ceases to be a God pleaser because you can't do both at the same time. And then what he does is he turns on the people that influenced him. Watch this. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 19, when Samuel confronts him. Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? You fly upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why'd you do that? And Saul said, and he's real tricky. Why? I'm going to try and pick this out for you. Saul is real tricky with his words. Saul said to Samuel, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I went the way which the Lord sent me. Uh, hold it. You're saying because you went the way that you fulfilled what God asked you to do? I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I went the way. That wasn't all that God asked you to do. Not just go the way. And, and, and then he kind of puts his hand over as I can picture him doing this. <laughs> and the people, they're the ones that are at fault here. The people took of the spoil. They took the sheep. They took the oxen. They took the chief things. They, sh they should have been utterly destroyed. And they said they were going to sacrifice all these things in Gilgal. See, now he blames the people. How did Agag end up back there? Well, once again, the people pleaser. The people pleaser. I can picture Agag pleading for his life. Now, Saul, you gotta know something about ethics. 
you've got to understand that there's, a, there's an unwritten rule that if you conquer another nation, you spare the king. You don't kill the king with the people. Kings are royalty. They're, they're a notch above everybody that they rule over. You can't kill me. And if the roles were reversed and, and we had defeated you, I wouldn't kill you. You gotta let me live. Just bring me back and give me a room somewhere till we can get this all figured out. But, but you, you can't kill me. Well, okay, gay gag, I guess I'll... If that's the way that things are done, and I, I, I wanna be accepted by the other kings and, and their committees and... I want to be uh, as gracious as I can be. And Samuel wouldn't have any of it. Samuel was a stickler to detail. What God says, that's what God wants, and he won't accept anything less than what he requires. And so with his tricky words and his twisting of things, he had hoped that he would be able to talk his way out of this situation. And here's what he says to Samuel. Fix it for me. 1 Samuel 15 and 24. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. He separates the two, which he shouldn't have done. And here's why I did it. Because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. He obeyed the wrong voice. That was his sin. And here is his motivation. He says it out of his own mouth. He condemns himself. I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Do you know why most people that hear the truth are not serving God? Because they fear people more than they fear God. Oh, my parents would be so upset with me. I was raised in a certain kind of a faith. And if, if I leave that church for truth, I'll be rejected by my parents. And what about my friends? And what about the people that I work with? I'm afraid of what this would cost me to be totally obedient to what God requires from his word and from the voice that he uses to express that word. I fear the people and my result is I obey their voice. I, I obey their voice. Nothing has changed, folks. Still the same. I remember uh, years ago when my wife and I first came to a Pentecostal church and it was culture shock and you've heard all this before and, and it, it, it wasn't easy for us because we were both raised in denominal churches. And it was very difficult, especially for my wife's parents. Very difficult. And um, 
I remember that it, it caused a lot of difficulty even in our marriage because there was a lot of pressure that was put on my wife. You know, you were raised this way. You, you were confirmed this way. And, and you made vows and promises that, that you were always going to be doing this. And now you have left the faith. And we're not happy about it. And there was tension and, and there was pressure. And it's very intimidating for a 22-year-old young man to have somebody a lot older and very intimidating in his personality to put pressure on you, much less to put it on your wife. We, the easy way out would have just been to say, well, let's just forget the whole thing. We'll go to church every once in a while and, and put in our hour to make mom and dad happy. But we couldn't do that. Because when you know something's true, when you know exactly what God requires of you, you can't obey the people and their voice. You got to stand up for what's right. You got to be a man or you got to be a woman because you're going to answer to God. You're not going to answer to them. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And you need to do what God requires of you. Can I get an amen? And, uh, well, I just better, I better not go any further. But I think you get the point. So Saul was asking to fix it. He said, now therefore, in verse 25, now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin. Forgive me. He doesn't go to God. He goes to Samuel. Pardon my sin. And then turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Stand with me before the people when I give my next speech. Let everybody know that I'm still in good standing with God and with the man of God. And Samuel won't do it. Saul was saying, fix it. Fix this for me. Listen to what Samuel's answer is. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. I won't. I can't. You've rejected God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away. You know what that means? Everything you see will one day cease to exist. And every person that you put so much importance on and tried to impress rather than God, they will die. But one thing will remain. My word shall not pass away. What I require, what I ask, what I have revealed to you through a man or a woman of God 
and shown you in my word, that's eternal. You're going to answer for that. And nobody's going to be standing with you. It's just you and me. And so Samuel said, I'm not standing with you, Saul. You rejected God's word. Now he's rejected you from being king. And then in, here's an interesting verse of scripture I want to share with you. 1 Samuel 16 and 23. You see, once we do the wrong thing and we refuse to make it right, we subject ourselves to evil spirits. My pastor used to say, I, I remember a, we had a, a young man in our church that was just on fire. I mean, he was a fireball. And one day, he turned his back on God and became the church's number one enemy. And I, and I remember talking to my pastor. I said, Pastor Tamil, how does that happen? How do you go from, from being super saint to attacking and sowing discord among the brethren, one of the abominations? How does that happen? He said, the most wicked, mark this down, the most wicked people you will ever meet are people that have turned their back on truth. They're worse than sinners. And they don't care who they hurt. It becomes all about them. And this evil spirit comes over Saul. And he does crazy, crazy things when the spirit comes on him. He'll throw spears at David. He'll say things he shouldn't say. He'll take his army out and, and try and kill somebody that he's jealous over. But this evil spirit comes over him. In 1 Samuel 16 and 23, it says, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp. He played with his hand. Saul was refreshed. All was well and the evil spirit departed from him. What a paradox that Saul will hate David, and yet David is the one man that can bring the relief that Saul seeks. And here's how he does it. And here, you gotta get this as believers, we gotta understand this. We are all subject to spirits, not just the spirit of God, but the spirit of Satan too. He will try to influence you. So how do we overcome any spiritual attack that comes against us? Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Call out to God right away. When you recognize something's not right, there's a spirit and you know it's not God that is attacking you, that's time to pray and then it's time to sing. Keep Christian music in your home, especially in times of great trials. Play it. It drives away. It keeps at bay evil. It worked with David and with Saul, and it'll work with you. Prayer and praise will keep away evil from your life. And also learn this from Saul before we leave him. 
If God asks you to kill something and you don't kill it, it will kill you. I'm not talking about mass shootings or physical harm to other people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God speaks to you through the man of God, through the word of God, through the spirit of God, and says there's something in your life that you need to kill and rid yourself and your family and your home of it. If you don't do it when God asks you to do it, it will harm you and possibly even kill you. I'm warning you. Look, how did Saul die? At the hands of what? An Amalekite. An Amalekite was the last person that speared him. If he'd have killed the Amalekites, like he was told to do, do you know what happened at Ziglag with David? Remember how the, the enemy came in and, and torched the city and took all their loved ones and all their possessions? Do you know who the people were that did it? It was the Amalekites. There they are again. The Amalekites are at Ziglag. So not only, Saul, has it cost you your life, it has cost others their lives and great hardship because you didn't follow what you were simply instructed to do. Kill it. Lest it kill you. So, Saul, now that you know what you've done wrong, will you get right? Nope. No, I want Samuel to do that for me. And Samuel won't do it. Now let's take a look at the second king for just a few minutes. David. Probably the greatest king that Israel has ever had. A shepherd boy. A giant killer. A man after God's own heart. Why, he was even gracious to Saul while Saul was trying to kill him and hunted him like an animal. He even honored him by when the man came to, to David and said, yeah, I'm the one that finished Saul off. He was pretty bad off and I, I just finished him off. David said, who do you think you are? To touch God's anointed. The scripture says, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. And you did it. And you're bragging about it. And he turns to one of his young men and he says, kill him right now. And they killed him. Why? In honor of the man that was trying to kill him. What an honorable man David is. He is Loved by Israel. They just love this guy. This guy, David, let me tell you something else about David that really impresses me. David is such a good leader. You know where he leads from? The front. He doesn't get up on a hillside and overlook the valley where everybody's gonna you know, have this great battle 
and think that he's going to send instructions down to the troops. No, he's out front. He's out front in the battle. He leads. He doesn't ask people to do what he won't do himself. He's truly, truly a great leader. But a terrible thing happens to David just as it happened to Saul. David has a spirit of pride. And I think that he got that, that spirit was introduced by Joab. Joab comes to him one day and says, you know, David, you are a great king and we cannot afford to lose you. I know you like to lead from the front. And David said, well, the reason I lead from the front is I, I believe that God has placed an anointing on me and, and he will take care of me. And that's the only way I know to lead. And Joab said, okay, but, but let's, let's talk about this a little bit. What if somebody gets a lucky shot and there's a part of your armor that's up and you're not absolutely fully protected and, and you get hit by that arrow and you die in battle? Israel cannot afford to lose you as their king. We can't afford that. So here's my suggestion. You've made me the captain of your army. Let me lead the troops. You, you stay home from this one. You don't, you don't go out in this battle. I'll just let them know that maybe you're a little under the weather or something. I'll make an excuse for you. But, but you stay home and let me lead because, David, you are so great. And Oh, man, I, we, we just, oh. And he listens to all that flattery. And he decides to take Joab's advice. Listen. Listen carefully. If you stay out of the battle you will fall into sin. If you stay out of the battle, you will fall into sin. That's what happened to David. See, the women and the children are the only one in the city. Oh, there's some soldiers that are guarding the gates. But nobody, no man is presumed to be in the city so here is this beautiful woman. Here's my playing with words again. What, what a unique name. Bathsheba. The Bible said she was beautiful. A beautiful woman, the Bible says. So bath, she, be a beauty. There you go. Play with that a little bit. Bathsheba. Bath, she be a beauty. And he spies her. And he lusts after her. Why? Because pride is prevailing at that moment. I, I had to stay back because I, I can't get injured in battle. And now here's a woman 
and I'm the king. So he, he calls a servant, servant. See that woman over there? Find out who she is. And they go find out, and they say, well, her name is Bathsheba. She's a married woman. She's married to a man by the name of Uriah, and he's out in the battle. And pride, I'm the king. I should have whatever I want. I should do whatever I want because I am the king. And he takes her. And she becomes pregnant. And she reports back to him that she is with child. And so he said, oh boy, what am I going to do now? How am I going to cover this sin? Because I want to be popular too. I don't want the people thinking that they've got an adulterer for a king. Okay, this is what I'll do. Joab, find Uriah and send him home on furlough. Bring him back and tell him to report to the king. So Uriah comes off the field. He comes to meet with the king. He's shocked that he'd even have an opportunity to meet such a great one. And David says, how's the battle going? He makes small talk. Uriah said, well, it's going such and such and such and such. He said, oh, well, thank you for that report. He said, I, I just felt it in my heart to, to bring you home and to hear that report and, and to be kind to you. I'm going to give you a short furlough and, and you can go and, and be with your wife for a couple days before you go back to the war. But Uriah won't enter his house and the word comes back to David. And they say, yeah, Uriah, he went to his house, but he slept on the porch. He wouldn't go in. David, bring him to me. Uriah comes in. He said, Uriah, did you spend the night with your wife? No, sir. Why not? He said, Israel's fighting a war. All my buddies are out fighting. And I should be with my wife? I can't do this thing. That's not right. I, I'm not being treated equally. I can't do that. He's got more integrity than the king. And David said, all right. He said, go back to the battle. And David thinks about it a little bit, and he says, I, I got to do something about this. So he murders him. David murdered Uriah. He murdered him. He said to Joab, he said, take Uriah, put him on the front line, and back away from him and leave him there. We know what's going to happen. He's going to get killed. Joab does what he's told. Uriah dies. <sighs> Takes care of that problem. Now she doesn't have a husband. See, one sin will lead to another sin. Leads to another sin. 
So now we have a man that is both an adulterer and a murderer. Do you remember the seven things? Number one was pride. Number three was shedding innocent blood. A second abomination committed by David. That's the way it always goes. But here comes the man of God. After a season, the man of God comes to David, and the man of God is Nathan. 2 Samuel 12 and 1. The Lord sent Nathan unto David. He came to him and he said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own meat, drank of his own cup, laid on his bosom and was unto him as a daughter, like a child. There came a traveler to the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb instead and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. And he gave him a good tongue lashing and explained to him that that's exactly what he did to Bathsheba and to Uriah. Now here's the difference and here's where I'm stopping tonight. In verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't ask him to stand with me or fix it. He just says, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord will put away your sin. Oh, this is, here's the promise tonight for every one of us when we do wrong. If we will admit it and attempt to make it right, here's what God will do. Thou shalt the Lord shall put away your sin and you will not die. When I do wrong, will I get right? The difference between Saul and Nathan or Saul and David, Saul made excuses, asked for others to do what he should have done himself and David accepted responsibility and I want to read this to you tonight in closing. Psalm 51. Let's stand together. When I do wrong, 
will I get right? And I'm going to ask you for a favor, okay? Because I'm going to invite you to the altar in probably two minutes. I want you to listen to a man that is sincerely sorry for what he has done and how he talks to God to attempt to make it right, okay? So go ahead for this one time and put your Bibles down and just listen. I'll read it word for word. I won't add or anything. I'll just read it. Here's how to make it right. David's own words. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And against thee and thee only have I sinned. I've done this evil in your sight that you may be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in all my inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities and create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. And cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with your free spirit. And then, then, will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. The difference between two kings, one got right and one got left. Jesus, I pray tonight that you will help us to learn from our mistakes that we don't continue to repeat them, but that we won't make excuses we won't just be people pleasers, we'll be God pleasers. When we do wrong, send a man of God. Send the word of God. Send your spirit. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177.
or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.